In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells a parable. Um, the parables that Jesus taught were a way of, of storytelling that he did to get a specific point across. And it was always kind of encapsulated in you know, everyday life situations in a way that, that both kind of hid its meaning so that we would kind of have to reach for it and seek it out, but also in a way that was relatable. In Luke 12, Jesus tells this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. What's interesting about the beginning of this parable is that I think it kind of encapsulates some of the, the relationship that we as a culture have with wealth. This sense of more and bigger so that we can take life easy. And a lot of our desire culturally speaking, is, is to be able to have an easy, relaxing life. To be able to amass wealth so that we feel like we can do what we want and enjoy. What I, I've been noticing, especially as like younger generations are growing up, trends on social media of, of different kind of like get-rich-quick hacks. Not in the same kind of like snake oil schemes that you may think of, but all these different kind of like investing techniques that like younger people especially are doing. We see it in, uh, in the desire to find the easiest way to make a lot of money. We see it in, uh, if you're a fan of Parks and Rec, the whole treat yourself day where uh, they go around and they just spend exuberant amounts of money on having one day that just tops everything else. But even the, the picture that we're given in, in our day and age of what the good life is, when you imagine in your mind what it is to live your best life, to live the good life, what it looks like to retire or the picture of retirement that we're sold. It's one where we can amass what we need to be able to take life easy to eat, drink, and be merry. If I can just tear down my barns and build bigger ones so that I don't have to work anymore, I can take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. In our relationship with wealth, often what we are looking for is what wealth can give us. And we use the phrase, money doesn't buy happiness, but I don't think we believe that phrase. I think we genuinely think that a certain amount of wealth will buy us happiness. And even searching online, there are different studies that people have done of what is the amount of money, like th these, these different uh, campaigns to find out what is the right amount of money in your bank account to be happy. Like it, what is the threshold of diminishing returns after you make this much money, it doesn't buy happiness anymore. But what we're looking for, I think, often when it comes to money 
is we're looking for a sense of security. We're looking for the ability to be comfortable or to rest, to not always have to experience the toil of work that we've talked about in other weeks. I think a lot of what we're looking for in amassing wealth is this sense of having things or having a status to be accepted or to be seen well in the eyes of others. And I think there's something too about this sense of, of success. Like I've, I've amassed this wealth, I've earned this level of wealth, and so I am seen as a successful person or, or I feel like I am therefore someone worthwhile because I've succeeded. The parable that Jesus tells has a tragic ending though. It ends with this man dying in his sleep that night and God saying to him, this, your life is, is taken from you. And the wealth that you've amassed and the bigger barns that you've built, you don't have them anymore. And Jesus says this is what happens when we amass our wealth but are stingy with God. The series that we're doing in Ecclesiastes is... Uh, an interesting opportunity for us to look at parts of Scripture that we don't always look at as followers of Jesus. Passages of Scripture that are going to make us uncomfortable because they present us with the different areas that we try to find meaning in our lives, and then it rips them down in front of us and shows, them, shows us how meaningless, meaningless it is. And we've been talking about how our work, or having wisdom, or having achievement, uh, all are areas where we try to find this meaning that end up empty. And this week we're going to be looking at wealth and how the teacher in Ecclesiastes talks about wealth as meaningless or hevel in the Hebrew word. That it's temporary, that it's like wind or air or breath. It's just intangible. It doesn't last. It's not worth anchoring ourselves to. And wealth has this weird, enigmatic way of messing with us. So we're going to look at what the teacher in Ecclesiastes says about this today, and then how the words of Jesus speak into the strange relationship we have with money. In Ecclesiastes 5, the teacher says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry with their hands. Now there's a lot in here, and I think there's an incredible amount of wisdom that the teacher, using the voice of Solomon, gives to us in this. The first thing he says in, in verse 10 is that we're never satisfied with our income. 
In fact, I remember reading about a survey where people were asked, how much more would you need to make per year in order to feel comfortable? And there was just this general consensus that like just $10,000 more at every like income level that people are at. That just, just $10,000 more a year would make me comfortable. Just $10,000 more would make me satisfied. And what's interesting is regardless of income level, that, that just became the refrain of not like this, oh, I need twice as much as I make, but just $10,000 more, $10,000 more. Our love of money is this interesting conundrum of us never feeling like we are satisfied with how much we're able to make, to feel like we never have enough. He also talks about this, uh, this strange obsession with collection or having things where you can imagine as a king and having all of this wealth at your disposal, just being able to buy things and build things and import all kinds of crazy weird things from around the world to be able to sit in your treasury and throne room to sit there for you to look at. And to be able to say, wow, look, I imported this huge jade lion from China. Like, awesome. And now I have to dust it. And in, in my world like of, of things that I'm into, I see all these guys who are these like vintage guitar collectors and spend tens and hundreds of thousands, uh, thousands of dollars on these you know, rare and vintage guitars that you know, go for crazy amounts of money at auction. And they've got dozens of them, you know, lining walls in their houses. I'm like, you can only play one guitar at a time. And there's something interesting to me of like, for some reason, dusting comes to mind. Like, you have to dust those. <laughs> that comes to everyone's mind. Like, you can amass all this stuff and you can collect all this stuff. You've got to dust it. And when you're not using it, it's sitting there collecting dust. What benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on? In verse 12, he says, The sleep of labor is sweet, uh, but for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. There is a strangeness we have as we accumulate more wealth. There is also the fear of losing it. The fear of not being in the more comfortable place that we're at. The fear of where the stock market goes or where our investments end up. And he has this interesting line of hoarding wealth harms its owners. I don't know if we always think of the effect that our wealth has on us. And the tragedy of not being able to give it away before it's lost in a bad deal or it's squandered in more dust-collecting items. And he reminds us at the end that we all die. And our wealth is not eternal. And as someone said in our life group this week, that you don't see a U-Haul following a hearse. These words in the voice of Solomon, who was the richest king in Israel's history, where it's said in 1 Kings that he made silver as common as stone in Israel. This man of incredible wealth says, I've lost sleep because of it. 
I've been harmed by hoarding it. I've not been satisfied with having a ton of it. I can't take it with me when I die. Wealth is hevel. And you might be thinking, yeah, well, he is a billionaire king. And that's very easy for him to say. You might jump into the chorus of let's eat the rich and like he can give everything that he has away. This is a problem for kings and billionaires and not a problem for me. And that was kind of how I was thinking this week. Then I entered my income into a global wealth calculator, which for a single income family with five of us, I am still in the top 20% of wealthiest people in the world. 80% of the global population does not have the same wealth as I do. And I think many of us in this room would be in a similar sliver, sliver of the demographic. It's easy to say, well, let's eat the rich, or this is a rich people problem, when in the grand scheme of global history and around the world at this present moment, we sit in the category of those who are well off. And even so, even if we find ourselves in a place of struggling to make ends meet, of, of, of being on or below the poverty line, sin taints our relationship to wealth either way. The human heart, whether we are rich or poor, has a complicated relationship with wealth. Wealth in a world tainted by sin either leads us towards greed, where we just want to amass more and more and more for the sake of having more. Or sin taints wealth in a way where we live in envy. Where we have an anger or hatred towards the wealthy. Jesus says more about money than he says about most things in his teaching. And so as followers of Jesus who are interpreting and, and inheriting the words of the teacher in Ecclesiastes, we also bring them up against the words of Jesus, where he takes things a step further. And if I was to pull out every passage that Jesus says about money this morning, we would be here until next Tuesday. There is all kinds. But I'm going to kind of laser focus us in to what he says in Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So I think we have two questions for us this morning. Where is our heart? What do we love? What master are we serving? 
See, unlike Solomon, Jesus offers us a better alternative to just, well, I got really rich and I realized that that it's all meaningless. Because I think with Jesus, what he does is he redirects us from saying, well, wealth is just meaningless to getting behind that and saying, what is it you're looking for in wealth? Because we do long for security and comfort and acceptance and value and and some kind of sense of meaningful success. And those aren't wrong things for us to long for. We're just looking for them in the wrong place. Each of us, as human beings, I would wager, is looking for these things in one way or another. And it's understandable that we would look for them in wealth, in the kind of society that we live in, that tells us that more is better, that having the newest thing is what's going to make you accepted, that your value is in the kind of car that you have, or owning a house, or all kinds of things like this. If we don't have Jesus in our lives why wouldn't we go and seek all of those things in wealth? But as followers of Jesus, when we do that, we're looking to a second master for something we already have in our true master. We're looking to amass a treasure that's already ours. See, Jesus came and he lived and he taught and he died and he rose and invites us by faith to follow him. And he assures us that we are secure in him. That there is no financially bought security that we can have that supersedes the power of the one who is in heaven who says that nothing in heaven or on earth can separate us from the love of God. There is no comfort or vacation that can be purchased that will give us the sense of rest that we can have knowing that the one who is risen is reigning and holds all things so that the world doesn't depend or revolve around us. There is no acceptance or accolades from other people around us because of the car we drive or the house we live in or the kind of of job or savings that we have that outweighs the acceptance we have because of Christ in the eyes of God. Not because of what we've done or the brands that we wear, but because we are adopted as His children. We have value not because of our net worth, but because we are seen as worth giving up his life for by the creator of the universe. So we're going to get very practical this morning. As we ask the question of where our heart is and where our treasure is, many of us, we are going to continue to search for security and value and comfort and rest. And maybe you feel like you have been searching for those things nonstop, whether it is in your work or in your wealth or in the appreciation of others in all kinds of areas, not realizing that they are already yours in Christ. 
And maybe you don't have Christ in your life and you have not received that and you don't have that kind of assurance that I am accepted and that I I am wanted, that I am valued. And no wonder you'd be wrestling more with this sense of I need wealth in order to provide those things. So the invitation is always open. That the God who created us came into the world and died for us and rose from the grave. He paid for our sins and invites us into His family if we respond by faith. Say, yes, I will follow. Yes, I will be yours. Yes, you are my King. And in our yes, we are invited into the family. The inheritance of the King is ours in Jesus. And we will still wrestle with greed. And we will still wrestle with envy because we are human beings tainted by sin. And Jesus invites us in His way to do very practical, everyday things that He uses to root out and transform those areas of our life. Where the antidote to greed is generosity. We see this in Jesus' life and His interactions where He meets this young rich man who is he's very wealthy and he's very religious. And He asks Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, here are the commands of God. And He says, well, I've done all those. And then Jesus says, then give away what you have to the poor. And there we realize that's that's actually the thing in the man's heart that takes the place of God. That greed and wealth is actually God to him and can often be to us. And so Jesus is called to this man to follow and to weed out that part of him is to give away. We see in the, in the story of Jesus with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a, a tax collector seen as a traitor by his community. He was short. And so when Jesus came to town, he climbs up a tree. And Jesus goes directly to him and he says, I'm coming over to your house and we're going to have a meal together. And everyone is aghast of Jesus. Why would he be meeting with this traitor of a tax collector? And Jesus knows this man. And he knows his heart. And he goes and has a meal at his house. And without Jesus even asking, this man knowing and encountering Jesus, his response is, I'm giving away the wealth that I've dishonestly gained as a way of expressing that I've I've come to know this Jesus. If we wrestle with greed, and greed is one of those hard things to nail down, because I've, I've rarely met someone who says they're greedy. But a lot of us like to say, well, you know, I'm putting something away for a rainy day. Or I am planning these level of vacations. Or, well, you know, we do need a new vehicle. And there are reasonable areas of this, and there are ways where we know that we are walking on a line. And I'm trusting that the Spirit sees each of us and is challenging each of us in these ways. But if generosity is the antidote to greed, if that is one of the ways that the Spirit works to transform us from people who are greedy to generous, 
It's also a way where we are participating in God's kingdom work. Where as we give to organizations or causes that are feeding the hungry, that are proclaiming Jesus around the world, that are caring for the orphans and the widows in the way that reflects the heart of God and demonstrates God's kingdom that is coming. We are actually participating in the kingdom. We're doing two things. We're killing two birds with one stone. We rely on the Spirit to help weed out greed in us, and we are supporting the great causes of God in the world whether that's through our church, whether that is through great charitable organizations, whether that is to a neighbor who we know is in need of support. Our generosity helps to weed out our greed. And the antidote to envy is contentment. Where regardless of where we are in pay scales and on kind of the global poverty index, we all experience envy. Because there's always something better and bigger out there. And Paul, who was a missionary for Jesus, who he went around the, the Roman Empire threading tents together to support his way, and also spent a lot of time in prison uh, being arrested for being a missionary, there's this moment where he writes to the Philippians while he's in jail, and he, he talks about, listen, don't worry about me. I've learned how to be content in all kinds of different situations. Whether it, I'm well-fed and in a nice warm home around a banquet table, or whether I am in a cold and dark prison and haven't eaten in three days. I've learned the secret to contentment. And the most misquoted or out of context verse in the New Testament where he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is in the context of contentment. Where I can find satisfaction in the little that I have or in the large amounts that I have because of Christ. Because I know that the riches that I have are His. Because I know that God is a good Father who is going to provide for me even in the moments of scraping by. And I, I hope that this is also a word to those of us who, who feel like we're just trying to make ends meet. That in our conversations of wealth, that God remains a good Father. That God sees us in the struggle. That God does want to work in us in the areas of envy and greed that can still be there when we have little. But He also is the God who provides. The God who loves us. The God who says, I see the sparrow and I clothe the flowers of the field. I see you. And you are of so much more value to me than they. So seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are a, a giver of good gifts and the greatest gift that you've given is yourself. As you've come and you've died for our sins and you've risen from the grave, and you invite us to be inheritors of 
the wealth of the cosmos. And God, we all have weird and complicated relationships with money and wealth, and we're all trying to do our best with it. And we are all tainted by sin in our relationship to it. So Jesus, would you remind us that we have everything we need in you? Would you, Holy Spirit, be doing the work of weeding out greed and envy in us? And Father, would you be our true provider to give us what we need for us to have our treasure and our trust placed in heaven and that that might be where our heart is. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.